our summer holidays, even though Dad was a, a World Cup winner, were to go to Dublin to stay with my nan for two weeks. That's a great holiday. Uh, honest to God, it was brilliant because you weren't in England. So there wasn't all the stuff about Dad. like a freedom for us over there. We'd literally yeah. have a breakfast, go out on the street. We just had the best summers ever because we just couldn't go out and play all day. Welcome to Dementia Carers Counts podcast. To commemorate Father's Day, we spoke to John Stiles about his family's experience of caring for his father, the legendary footballer Nobby Stiles, who died last October with advanced dementia. John is a former footballer turned comedian and an ardent supporter of Dementia Carers Count. John and his family are on a mission to raise awareness of the 700,000 families in the UK living with dementia and ensure they get the support they so desperately need. John shared heartwarming tales from his childhood, gave us an insight into growing up with a famous footballer dad and spoke about his relationship with his father, the moments he cherished and the heavier stuff too. Hi John! I'm really looking forward to our conversation and I know like a lot of our listeners are going to be as well. So yeah, thanks a million. If it's okay with you, I'd like to start kind of at the very beginning for you. So can I ask what was your childhood like? Your dad was like such a legend. Was that something you were aware of growing up? Do you think it impacted your childhood? You're already laughing. So that's a good No, it's um, the reason why I'm laughing. It's his birthday today. How are you doing? All right. All right. Um... Uh, basically, as a kid, um, my dad was just my dad. Uh, to us, he'd come home. We didn't even really know how big a thing he'd done winning the World Cup and the career he had. Because when he got in the house, football wasn't mentioned. Uh, one of the reasons was my my mother hated football. Um, her dad was a footballer. Her brother was a great footballer called Johnny Giles. I became a footballer um, and she hated football. So when he came in the house, um, basically, it, it was forgotten and Dad was just Dad and you would never meet a more quiet, humble man who liked to have a laugh. Just a great dad, really. But when it became apparent that it was different was when we'd go out and there'd be other people and they would treat me differently once they knew who my dad was. Mm. So it was a bit of a, a strange situation because... We weren't celebrities, but people would treat you differently because of how famous he was. And because it was such a, a massive occasion, particularly the World Cup, um, mm. we only really realised how big a deal it was when he passed away because of the outpouring. I mean, it was oh, wow. unbelievable. So so to us, we were sort of taken away from all that. It was never... It was my dad's job, and we were proud of what he did, but to us... He was just literally dad, and you would never meet a more humble man. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, what was your relationship like with your dad before he started showing symptoms, like well, as you were? Yeah, we, we well, we always... Dad was never um, confrontational, you know. He was never shouty. He was just a quiet man, and um, I always got on with my dad. Um, ironically... I work as a comedian now, and my dad was an mm-hmm. after-dinner speaker. And when my dad's memory started to go, um, it got to the point where he couldn't work without me, but we tried to keep him working as long as possible. So my dad would come into a story, but I'd have it memorised, and then I knew if he went off track, 
what I had to say to him to get him back on. Yeah. So for, for nearly for three and a bit years, he worked solely with me, which meant I had special time with him on my own. Yeah. Oh, so, that's wonderful. So it was it was lovely to have that because my mum wasn't there. So then he'd start telling me all the, the stories about what Alf Ramsey said on the eve of the World Cup final and what Alf Ramsey said after the semi-final when they'd beaten Portugal. And my dad had marked Eusebio out of the game. So these, this, ironically, um, I know there's nothing really good about uh, dementia, but I was able to help him to work and I was able to spend special time with him. And, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. That's lovely. It's lovely that you have that memory and that you you got that opportunity. Um, yes. So how how did his symptoms first manifest? What did you first notice? Well, he was um, he was sixty, and the reason why I remember it is because he'd had a heart attack, and then not long after he started, his memory went. It just suddenly seemed to get worse. So that was um, I think that was two thousand and two, and then it was a gradual progression that his memory was getting worse to the point where he needed. He needed help, really. In 2010, he had um, he had a mini stroke, a TIA, mm. and then um, but his memory was was decreasing then. And, and I remember the they did a brain scan on him, and uh, the doctor said there's a thinning of or whatever it was. And I, I said, is that down to the TIA? And he said, no. So I knew there was a problem. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't the TIA, and it was proven when my dad's brain was example uh, was examined. There was hardly any. Um, Damage other than the damage of CTE on his brain. Yeah. But, but then in, um, so he gradually got worse, got worse. And then that's when he said he was working with me. And then 2013, he had a massive dip, which seems to be very common with the footballers because their, their dementia is pretty unique because of the trauma that's caused the front of the mm-hmm. brain. And, and we never really got him back after that. Um, so I would, uh, I would say we had, since two th- since he was sixty, so it was like eighteen years really of um, yeah. watching him watching him leave and and yeah. I, and um, and my mum in particular. Um, I'm sure you're going to ask me these questions later, but my mum in particular struggled with it. Um, I think it's very hard to accept that the person you're seeing is is never really going to come back. Yeah. Um, so, so in two, in 2013, he, he never, he never, he briefly came home, but the rest of the time he spent it in either a hospital or a, or a home. What about support from like your extended family and friends? Did your mom, I suppose, if your mom was the main carer, mm-hmm. what did what support did she have outside of your immediate family? Not much. Um, really? Well, my mom's a very private person. Um, yeah. Just, just to even let somebody into the house, if I give a bit of respite care was difficult, and she took it on herself that she would be the one to look after dad. That's all she wanted yeah. to do. And um, again, this is another thing that this guilt, you know, this the, the, yeah. it's, my, it's my responsibility. And what you don't realise is that this person is very, very poorly, and um, it it would probably take two or three professional carers to look after him and my mum was doing it on her own. Yeah, and and that has an impact on her health as well, you know. That's probably something that a lot of family carers don't realise at the time, but giving so much of yourself and trying to do it all yourself it not 
Well, I think I think you're absolutely. I think mentally and physically, it um, is is exhausting, and and to a large extent heartbreaking as well. Yeah, definitely hard for the whole family. So you're now a comedian. What inspired that career change? Um, Do you think your ability to make other people laugh is something that's helped you through kind of some darker times, maybe? Well, if you'd seen me play football, you'd know that there wasn't a big change from being a joker on the football pitch and um, and then going into comedy. But before you finished my football career, you've not mentioned something that I, I really want, I'm very, very proud of. Um, my dad obviously won the World Cup and the European Cup. My Uncle John won the league, the FA Cup, the UEFA Cup. And I won the one thing they never did is because at Leeds United, I was the very first substitute ever to be substituted. <laughs> That's how crap I was. <laughs> Well, in reality, it was about 60, 70 minutes. But I like to tell everybody else I was only on for five or six. You get more of a laugh out of that. With regards to um, help you through everything, I think a sense of humour helps you through through lots of things. Um, with, with this situation, I don't want to be too depressing, but... Um, That's OK. It's, it's, it's such a nightmare. And mm. you're in the dark. It's like it's like you dropped in a big black ocean, and you struggle. And not just you. You're watching your family struggling to stay afloat and not be, not be wheeled. You know, not be just washed away by it all. Just trying to hang in and do the best you can. And um, particularly watching my mother, very difficult. What would you say to a family who's currently in a similar situation to the one that you were in? Do you have any words of wisdom, anything that you found particularly helpful with your dad? Uh, come and talk to you lot, I think. Yeah, or, or somebody somebody of your ilk. As soon as, as soon as you get the diagnosis, find out as much as you can about it. Educate yourself about it. Um, particularly educate yourself on how you treat that person day to day to minimise the trauma that can come from asking questions or or having a debate with them or contradicting them instead of just holding the hand. This illness has got particular particular symptoms. It's got a particular pattern, and these people who are experienced in it will be able to help you, and they'll be able to help you understand the illness, and hopefully. You'll gain acceptance when you understand the illness. Yeah, that's all very good advice. Thank you. Um, I also think it's worth for family carers to remember that, you know, we can only do the best we can do in the in the circumstance with the tools we have available to us. I think the guilt, the guilt of, I, I, I know people close to me feel very guilty. About, but all I say to them is what you've just said. You did your best because you don't have a clue. You're not a professional. You're not a professional carer. You're a carer, but you're not a professional carer. And I think that that, and in particular, I think the moment where you have to make that decision where they maybe do have to go into a home, I think that is, I think that's everybody's nightmare, really, because 
you're saying goodbye to them. And in some instances, they may have said before, I don't ever want to go into a home that's hanging over your head. Um, and I just think that's very difficult. And that's, again, where education can help. I, I know I know of several families, my own included, where dad was really poorly and he needed professional help round the clock. And my mum was trying to do it for him and, and uh, just impossible, really. Yeah. So I think that yeah. that 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 the, the, the decision when you, they have to go into the home is very painful, and you need they need as much support and help as they could possibly get at that time. So my final question is: We're asking all of our guests this series, what small step have you taken to overcome a sense of isolation? And that could be the isolation you felt when you were caring for your dad, or the isolation that you might have felt in the last year of, of lockdown, you know? Um, well, the isolation, as a comedian, the lockdown has been a nightmare. Um, <laughs> you can't get work. But aside from that, um, I think the lockdown as well has been terrible for families who've, who've got a loved one in, in the homes and they haven't been able to go and see him. I think in terms of isolation, if you've been a private family, it's very difficult to pick up the phone to tell somebody you don't feel good. Yeah. It's very difficult. Um, I can't do it. <laughs> I find it very difficult, but I've got a good partner and I've got a couple of really good friends and it's very difficult. But it's for my mum, probably even more difficult to ring up and say I'm having a bad day, you know, I think if you're brave enough, and it is brave, it is a brave thing to Very do. Very brave. To, to, yeah. to, to pick up the phone, tell somebody what a bad day you're having. Um, but I think also one of the things that does happen with dementia, you find out who your friends are pretty quickly. Once the day, I think, I think when they know that that's the situation in your house, yeah. you find out who your friends are pretty quickly. Well, I think that it can be hard for people to to know what to say and and it is because of that stigma that we have around it you know it's not spoken about enough so people don't know what to say to the family or to the to the person and I think with a wider education and awareness about it we can change change that as well hopefully. Do you know I I think you're dead right I never really thought about it that way you know I'm thinking about it just from my family's point of view with this with the sick dad but of course you're probably right that um they don't know. They don't know what to say, you know. And, yeah. And yeah. We, we just. Yeah. So go. I was just going to say, everyone needs to be braver about talking about it. You know, something that comes up a lot. Family carers say, you know, someone asks how they are, and they'll say, "Oh, I'm fine." They're not fine. They just don't want to be a burden on that person. And I think being brave and saying you know, I'm not fine because this is happening, this is happening, this is what dementia is like, this is what my life is like, this is what you can do to help me, yeah. you know? And I think it, it, do, it, takes a lot of, it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable in that way and, and to use your voice, you know, and, yeah, hopefully... Yeah, I think you, that, that's very... It. I think that's absolutely bang on. That, yeah, it, the education isn't just for the family, it's for everybody. And, yeah. yeah, I think that's um, a great point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Dementia Carers Count podcast. Anyone can be touched by dementia, and whether you're a family carer or not, we encourage you to join John in supporting our charity and the 700,000 families in the UK living with dementia. You can do this by visiting our website, dementiacarers.org.uk, and joining our mailing list. We'll be sharing more stories from family carers, strategies for maintaining your well-being from health and care professionals, and exciting news about our upcoming events. Join us and together we'll make Dementia Carers Count. Thank you.